With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We now have the pleasure in welcoming the host of the Celtics pod on SB Nation. His name is Adam Taylor. How's it going, Adam? I'm doing well, thank you guys. Doing well, thanks for having me. Well, the timing is well appropriate because uh, last night had a big matchup in, in prime time with the Boston Celtics in Los Angeles Lakers. And um, this full disclosure, my dad's from Boston. He's a huge Celtics fan, so we're always talking Celtics. And it's it's been a thing where now the Celtics have been, you know, coming off the, I guess, the, the benefits of their trade from um, the Brooklyn Nets and them really rebuilding. And now they have this young core of Jalen Brown and um, Jason Tatum. This team's primed to to win the title, and I just want to ask you: just looking at this game last night with Kimber Walker struggling and him missing the um, game-winning basket, and and just moving forward, where do you see like the Boston Celtics going in order to win the title? Just because we look at their deficiencies, right? Like inside they're weak, and then like their depth is not the best. So I think now with the East, with other teams emerging. I'm just wondering, like, where does the Boston Celtics fit into that in terms of their title hopes? Yeah, I'd agree with um, the bench depth being a big issue. Part of it for me is more like last night against the Lakers. If you look at that game, the bench really didn't score outside of Robert Williams until late in the third quarter. And that's not acceptable at all, especially when you're going against a team such as LA, who are, in my opinion, probably the deepest and best team in the league. So bench scoring is something that's riddled this team for two or three seasons at this point they thought they'd resolved it last year with some moves they made they didn't they hoped Carson Edwards would be that guy he wasn't this year it's kind of repeated itself they've brought in um, Jeff Teague he's been trash Uh, I'm really not very high on Jeff Teague at the moment hopefully he can change my mind Um, they brought in Aaron Neesmith he looks good defensively but that's that's still a work in progress to get his touch and feel to where it needs to be to be classed as a bench scoring piece. So, yeah, the bench for me is where they're really weakest. Uh, depth in, in terms of um, size, I'm not too worried about. I think Daniel Tice is a great Swiss Army knife on offense. Uh, and then I also think that Robert Williams brings a bunch of energy and that vertical spacing that everybody talks about these days uh, off those short rolls and deep rolls. Tristan Thompson, I'm still, look, he brings great defense, but as an offensive big, he's not very good. Um, just to keep it blunt. But to be honest with you, he was brought in for a defensive role. So those two things, I'm I'm kind of disagreeing on the this depth at big because I believe that they have enough to make it work. But definitely the bench unit is uh, in need of improvement. Gotcha. And I, I just bring that up in terms of just the 76ers, just seeing Joel Embiid have this MVP season. And then um, just with like, Brooklyn, like they have a little, way worse in terms of their interior depth. Uh, you know, they have DeAndre Jordan, certainly he's, a, I think, a shallow himself. But I think moving on into playoffs, I'm just wondering, like, big picture in terms of we get the Giannis and then they have to face the Lakers again in terms of just, like, that interior matchup, like how you think of with, with what the, the roster is now, they'll be able to compete defensively to neutralize, like, a Joel Embiid or Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, 
it, no one really can. You're at a point where there's four, three or four big guys in the league that that's your premium bigs and then everybody below is just not capable of doing anything to stop them so you move to a containment phase right you try and make sure that you don't let them get deep deep post possessions if they face up with you you double off a cutter or you double off the perimeter and you play your percentages you make every shot difficult and then you make sure your matchups are always good so they used um boston sorry you semi ogile for spurts on um, AD because Ojale has got that thick base and he can, if AD wants to post up, Ojale's strength will force him to face up and now you can double and you can force the ball out of his hands. They do similar things with Embiid, but outside of Embiid, Jokic, AD, uh, possibly Bam, I don't think I'm forgetting anybody there. There's not really a big that you can put against these guys to contend with them. So you do need to play the percentages and just make every shot as tough as possible. Adam, I'm wondering, I, kind of zooming out from, from what we were just talking about, I, I wonder if we could get your thoughts about where the Celtics are as a franchise right now, because they, they've gone through, you know, of course, we had that big three title era. They did a really accelerated rebound or rebuilding phase. Um, you might even say that they, they didn't even rebuild. They just reloaded very quickly. Their, their core pieces, of course, in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are – Still very young. I, I think, at least for my personal bias, it feels to me since they've been together in a cohesive unit for a while now, it feels to me like they've, um, you know, almost need to go through another rebuilding phase. But as Justin mentioned, I, I think rightfully they are still considered title contenders. Do you feel like they are serious title contenders as they are right now? Or do you feel kind of like, they've been leapfrogged by the 76ers or the Nets? I mean, that's a great question. The first thing I want to kind of point out is this is a really young team. And I, I have been very vocal about this season not being a championship season for them. I don't mm. feel like it's their missing pieces. They are, but like the primary thing that I think takes this team to the next level is more internal development. You've got two late lottery picks in Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith. They both need minutes to start continue their development and become players that can actually contribute to winning. The Grant Williams is the same. Um, Robert Williams has missed more games than he's played, so you're trying to expedite his development as well. So while I agree that they're definitely not where they need to be, the pieces are there. They're just very raw and they need more time to be refined. And then if, um, when you mentioned like another rebuild. Um, I saw this whole Celtics period since that KG Pierce trade as a competitive rebuild. They stay competitive, but they still brought in the young pieces to develop. Um, I do feel like they've straddled two timelines consistently, an immediate timeline and a long-term timeline. And Kemba Walker is kind of, in my opinion, the, the last piece of that immediate timeline. I don't feel like he's the best fit for the Celtics. Um, as a lead scorer, he's fantastic. As a third scorer, um, I'd much rather look for a pass-first mentality guard that can distribute a little bit. When Chris Paul was available, I was really hoping they could figure something out there. But for me, yeah, it's definitely more of an internal development and then making moves around the fringes and making a decision and sticking with it on what you want to do with Kemba Walker. Yeah, and I, th I think they have really shown the rest of the league how you do a competitive rebuild. I, mean, I think they have uh, kind of mastered the arts of that. I, I think that's something that right now 
the Rockets, I, I'm a Rockets fan. That's something that they're trying to do uh, with pieces that they got from James Harden, obviously. Um, I, I guess my follow-up question would be, do you see, you know, with kind of this maybe strange place that the franchise is in right now, in some of those pieces being so young and raw. Um, do you think this is a team that's going to be really active during the trade deadline? Honestly, I don't. Um, we haven't, we've, as Celtics fans, as people that cover the Celtics, we've told ourselves every trade deadline there's got to be a move made. It'd be crazy if they didn't make a move, right? Trade deadline comes, trade deadline goes. Everybody thinks the house is burning down. Um, my outlook on it is that, yeah, there's definitely moves that need to be made, but any moves you make, especially this season, it's truncated, that teams really are kind of just trying to get to the end of it and see where they are and take stock of what they have. Any moves you make are going to be out of desperation. Um, there's rumours going around at the moment that JJ Redick is available and the Pelicans are looking at teams like the Nets the, um, and the Celtics. If that trade makes itself available and um, what the Pelicans are asking for isn't ridiculous, I could see a fringe move like that happening, but nothing huge. I know everyone's looking at the Celtics with their um, enormous TPE, and that makes a bunch of sense, but people need to remember the Celtics are hard-capped, so there's only, although that TPE is 28 million, you can only use 19 mil unless you start sending that significant salary back out. So my outlook on it is, there might be fringe moves now, but the primary uh, reconstruction, if you want to call it that, of the roster will be during the offseason. Adam, I want to discuss your um, interview with Kendrick Perkins. Um, I, I really enjoyed it, by the way, and it was really an insightful conversation. And you guys discuss kind of like the older generation and the newer generation, and particularly with coaching. But I wanted to get your opinion with players as well. Uh, we've been asking several of our guests regarding just the Shaquille O'Neal um, controversy in terms of him and Donovan Mitchell and him and Rudy Gobert and Dwight Howard. We just go on and on with his feuds over the years. But I guess my main question is your discussion with Kendrick Perkins, it, it really clicked something in my mind in terms of not using the correct language to relate to players of this generation, right? Like things that worked in the 90s and early 2000s, not necessarily going to work now. And I just want to get your opinions in terms of, do you think there's kind of like somewhat a budding, I guess, of the heads in terms of generations, in terms of, I think Shaq has good intentions. I don't think he's a bad guy, but he has this old school mentality. And I think it's not only him, it's Barkley, maybe some others in the league that hasn't really changed their thinking from a player perspective. So I just want to get your opinion in terms of like kind of those older generation players trying to find the correct ways to mentor the younger generation without alienating them or turning them off. Yeah, I mean, we see this generational divide in like any workplace, right? You have the, the people that are, nearing their 50s and 60s that they go about their job one way they have a very specific type of management that doesn't resonate with the millennial generation and now generation is it z gen z um everything's different so that motivational what motivated the 50 and 60 year old um doesn't motivate the millennial or the gen z because it's just a, a such a huge generational divide the internet has changed the way people perceive things and then you look at guys like Shaq that was around in like the dominant era of nba where everything was physical you were verbally challenged on every night you could trash talk more without getting the text uh, and then there was less media coverage in terms of worldwide um scrutiny i mean i'm all the way in england and i scrutinize guys 24 hours a day and people listen uh i don't know why 
Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I understand what Shaq was doing. And for someone my age, um, I'm in my early 30s, someone my age, I'm like, He's challenging Donovan Mitchell, and it's he's throwing the gauntlet down. But and I understand that people younger than me would have perceived it that way too. But it was the way he worded it that was the problem, right? And this is one of the things that I think I was trying to speak to Perk about at the time was when you're dealing with an older coach, they're more you do it my way. We run set X, we run elbow sets, we run pistol sets, and we're going to stay rigid. And that may have worked back in the 90s and early 2000s, whereas now players want to express express themselves more. It's uh, The modern generation is very much about expression of self, and old coaches just aren't going to allow for that as much. And Adam, um, just going through your Twitter timeline, I have something that stood out to me in terms of how you covered the league during this b bizarre time of COVID. And I just want to get your opinions because I've asked a lot of um, other um journalists that we had on the shows in terms of what it's like covering the league in this kind of unique time. What has been your experience so far in terms of just the presentation, um, just dealing with players, your own feelings in terms of how the NBA has handled the pandemic so far? Uh, what has been your experience through just not only the bubble, but just the season so far? From a very selfish standpoint, um, this has been way better for me personally. I've had opportunities to be on media in, in um, media events that I genuinely, generally wouldn't have had the ability to do due to different uh, distance and time zone differences. So for me, as a part, like as an individual, it's actually been very beneficial. As a whole, um, I know a few reporters are finding it difficult to speak, ask very customized questions, right? So if you're in a scrum in the locker room, you can be like, right, I want to go and ask Marcus Smart a question, or I want to go and sit with Jason Tatum for ten minutes. Whereas on a Zoom meeting, you're literally all there together, raising your hand, and then someone from the PR will be like, you can speak. And this is what I've been informed. Um, so it makes it very difficult to uh, customize your questions and choose who you want to get the information from, which has led to a lot of pieces that are very generic from multiple outlets because you only have that information to go with, right? It's very difficult to get the deeper stories. I think the bubble was fantastic. Uh, if you go back to one of my podcasts with former NBA player Scott Pollard, you'll hear some cool stories that came out of that bubble that didn't really get publicized, uh, which was dope. Uh, but as a general, as a successful, I mean, there was zero COVID cases during the bubble. Everybody was safe. They even managed to work the players' families in once it was safe to do so. They developed a school for the children, the players' children, so they could continue their education. This season, They've rode the wave as far as I'm concerned. They they knew it was going to be a rough December slash January. They'd done everything they could to keep it as strict as possible. And now we seem to be coming out the other side of things a bit. For the players, though, I feel like they feel a bit restricted. If you, um, There was a player, I can't remember. George Hill said that if he wants to go and see his family, he's going to go, I'm a man at the end of the day. I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and you kind of have to live with that. But at the same time, you are a man and you're being paid millions of dollars a year to follow these rules. So if you don't want to follow them, don't be upset when you're no longer on a roster. Hmm. Adam, I wanted to get your thoughts at large. I, I saw an interesting article and, and I apologize. I wish I could source it, but it talked about uh, basically the headline. If people want to look it up was the East is better, a better conference, a deeper conference than the West for the first time in 21 years. And I did notice that, when we were doing research for some of the topics for our main show this week, particularly all-star selections, 
I was definitely having a more difficult time placing who's going to start and who are going to be my reserves for the East compared to looking at the West. Do you think that things have shifted? Is there more competitive balance between the conferences this year than we've seen in the past 20, 21 years? Um, what's your feel for kind of the league at large? I mean, my outlook on this, and I've had a very similar discussion this week with somebody, was throughout the last five, six, seven years, the majority of high draft round, draft picks, not always the first pick or the second, but a lot of the lottery picks have gone to Eastern teams. These players have now developed their their uh, quote air quote veterans in a sense. You know, they've came into the league. They've been here three or four years now. They know what the league's about and they're comfortable. And that comfort factor assists with your performances on a nightly basis. So logic would tell you that as these players continue to improve, the conference they play in gets deeper. Players are attracted to come and play with the improving young guys. And to me, that's why the East looks better now. I still think the West is deeper for star talent. But I do think that the East is where the stars are now being made, if that makes sense. Like the stars are coming up in the East and then moving West for the lifestyle. And mm. But a, like um, a question I'll throw back to you is like, how much do you think um, small market and big market teams now affect a player's decision in a, a world of online opportunities, online advertisement, where being in a small market no longer limits your earning potential? Yeah, it's that's a, a great question, and I think the the market with the moves that that we saw like this off season with Brooklyn, uh, I think market is still a huge deal. I just don't know that um, like traditional franchises quite matter as much as they used to, you know, because we could have seen KD choose the Knicks. We could have seen Kyrie go there with him. They, they had some options there. So I'm not sure how much uh, tradition matters as compared to, you know, like, like in the nineties or so. Um, but it's, it's definitely an interesting question. I mean, we're, we're seeing, you know, like John Morant is, is up and coming. He's pretty much, you know, I, I don't want to be mean or anything, but one of the the few reasons to watch the Grizzlies, uh, and then there was huge concern, obviously, uh, when he was injured. Not first and foremost because of his injury as a player, but also, you know, what's what's going to happen with this franchise um, in in these next couple of weeks. There's not going to be much intrigue there. So I, I think it's a question that evolves every single off season. It, it seems like uh, with the big moves that are constantly being made and the the focus that has been drawn um on the offseason itself yeah um adam I, it, it, that's a great question matt and i've had this discussion and i think it's twofold i think it's the market and it's how the organization treats its players like what mm. matt was saying with the kevin durant situation i mean the knicks uh, they have been uh, borderline laughing stock in this league for a very long time in terms of how they treat their players and fans so yeah you want the prestige of playing in madison square garden putting on Knicks uniform but at the same time you don't want to be last in the standings and just playing for nothing so i think for the players it's both having that prestige and also it's the city too but it also is how's the team going to perform i think it's both yeah, I'd agree. For me, one of the biggest draws um, for players that I've spoke to and for obviously interviews that I've read or listened to myself, it generally comes down to the front office and the, the team operations, right? Like mm. if a team is ran professionally, if you consistently draft well, consistently develop that talent, stay loyal to that talent, then 
free agents recognize that and you're automatically going to be somebody that gets an interview from them. And that's why, in my opinion, Brooklyn, for as, as well as being a big market, they've consistently developed talent over the last two or three years. They've gone about their development the right way. They've implemented structure um, from the top down. And then that pays dividends once Kyrie Irving and KD become available. So Brooklyn definitely did have the draw of being a big market. But I think that if Brooklyn had been the dumpster fire they were four or five years ago, that market size would have meant absolutely nothing because just you've seen it with the Knicks. You saw it during the Carmelo Anthony years with the Knicks. You can get these players through the door. That's the easy part. The hard part is putting the contending team around them. And only teams that are really well-structured top to bottom can, are capable of doing that consistently year after year. Mm. So maybe the answer is that um, free agents nowadays and, and players in general, the decisions are far more nuanced than they used to be uh, rather than big market, small market thing. I mean, again, to bring Memphis back in the mix, you, you think of them as kind of a potential fire sale team. Um, you know, just with the way ownership has done things, you know, you look at um, like Chandler Parsons and, and other talent that has been there. Um, whereas like, like you mentioned, I mean, that's, that's a great point about the talent that Brooklyn has developed and the, the infrastructure that they have there. I mean, for me personally with Memphis, I think Memphis are actually one of the more um, enjoyable young teams to watch them. Um, I don't know if you guys follow many guys from draft Twitter, but um, that team is just littered with draft Twitter darlings. Um, Brandon Clark, mm. a really high, high, um, high ceiling big. Triple J's really high ceiling guy. You've got uh, Desmond Baines there. Um, Grayson Allen sucks, so we can forget Grayson Allen. Um, <laughs> they got slow mo, slow mo's a baller too. So they are a decent team, but it's exactly what you're saying. And what will make Memphis a destination eventually is if they continue to develop Triple J and Jar as a duo. And as they develop, players will start seeing what they're doing there. And Memphis is stuck with these guys. They've built a good rotational core in Bain and Clark. And they've got Xavier Tillman now, who I really like. Uh, and that will entice one or two free agents to be like, man, if me and you team up and go there with Jar, then now we've really got something. And it's, a, it's an organization that has continually built through the draft and done things correctly by their players. And to me, uh, from the players that I've obviously, again, from interviews I've listened to, from ones I've conducted myself, that holds a ton of value. Mm. Adam, um, one last question before um, I let you go. And since you're, you're in the, the UK, I just wanted to ask in terms of the popularity of the of the league in your neck of the woods. Can you kind of go over kind of how popular it is basketball, you know, where you live at? Just because, you know, in America, we get a sense of the the NBA trying to expand to different territories. And we have a little bit of a sense, but not too much in terms of like Africa and China and other regions of the world. So I guess I want to ask you, since you're, you're actually there, you follow this league every single day, um, and particularly the Celtics. How do you think that the league is doing in terms of, I guess, increasing its popularity in a market that has its set sports that they focus on all the time? It's growing every year, to be honest with you. Um, to my frustration, it's very casualized fan bases. So I tend to steer away from interactions with them as I like to actually have enriching conversations about the sport. But as an actual sport itself, it's growing every year. There's more and more fans. Um, the games are on pretty much shown live on TV here now, whereas before we used to just get one game or two games and it was a rerun, which 
So it's definitely growing. I mean, it's not growing as quickly as Eastern Europe, where they're absolutely insane for basketball, which is why mm. we're getting so many Lithuanian, um, who what you know, Serbian, Lithuanian exports into the league. Um, mm -hmm. Spain, Italy, Turkey, it's absolutely enormous there. It's coming along a bit, and France, sorry. Uh, and yeah, okay, I'll carry on. Um, and then it's coming along here more and more. But again, as you say, it's fighting against soccer, which is the dominant sport here. But again, like, um, you know, if you go onto Twitter now and just search um, UK fans, there's literally like um, fan pages for every single team. They're all producing content on a daily basis. Wow. Um, they're, they're really trying to grow the game. And it, what's really nice about it is because it's such a nuanced sport, the fans that are following the team are playing a very big role in developing that following themselves. They're, do, they're doing watch parties. Uh, they go city to city when it weren't COVID doing watch parties and trying to get new people in and trying to develop that fandom so it's definitely growing but more so from the fans that are here's aspect they're doing with their part to continue growing the game uh, which is which is i mean you can't knock the guys they're try trying very hard because that gives us more ways of you know i want to go to work and talk about the game the way you guys get to go to work and talk about the game i have to wait until my friends on the east coast or the west coast are awake and then I have to wait until I'm free from work to give these guys a call just to go through what you guys went through at coffee this morning with a bagel. So um, my mentality there is very similar to everyone else. So it is growing. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are and none of my podcasts or none of my um, content is geared towards the UK market. So I don't know what that type of um, hunger's like, what that click-through rate goes with. But um, it's mm. definitely from a visual standpoint, it is increasing every year. Well, Adam, thank you very much for joining the show. Um, please plug your social media handles and any projects that you're working on in 2021. Okay, thank you. Um, you can find me on Twitter and IG at Adam Taylor NBA. You can find me at Celticsblog.com. I do um, write, I do written content there. I do uh, podcasts there. Usually get some cool interviews once or twice a month. That's always awesome. Talkbasket.net, uh, I run their podcast along with Jonathan Macri, who covers the Knicks. He's awesome. And then if you're into any sports betting, you can find me at unibet.com, where I'd release a, just like a quick weekly fast hitter about the best games, uh, the best value betting games for that week. Awesome, Adam. We definitely have to have you on again to talk betting. Um, it's funny, Matt and I, we were in a group chat with a bunch of our other basketball fans, and they've talked about getting into sports betting. So it's something we definitely want to pick your brain on next time because um, <laughs> pretty much all of our friends, they're novices, and uh, the stuff I see in them, I'm like, I don't know if they know what they're doing regarding this. So, um, we'd be um, greatly uh, valued for your time on another interview just to get your um, insight to make sure they're not they're placing their money in the right direction for sure. Yeah, I mean, this season is really difficult. Everything's going left and right. I, I got in on um, Jalen Brown most improved when it was um, 33 to 1. I think those odds have come down to like 10 to 1 now. So, uh, mm. but that was just the Celtics homer in me. Like, um, oh, he's going to have, and then luckily it's developing that way. So you never know. But uh, yeah, it's definitely difficult, but I'm more than happy to jump on again if you ever want to. Awesome. awesome We'd love to. Thanks so yeah. much for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me, guys.